the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. I'm uh, broadcasting to you from my offices in San Jose, California, in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. I hope you are all having a better week now as the Bay Area has started to open up. I can tell you that um, my family, uh, my wife and my two children and I actually went out this past Saturday and played a round of miniature golf. And it's amazing how something as simple as that can be so meaningful in this time when everything has been shut down for so long. We played a round of miniature golf at Golfland in San Jose down on Blossom Hill Road. Free plug for them. Uh, Apparently all the golf lands are now open around the Bay Area. You have to call them and make a reservation and reserve a tee time in order to play. But we were told that you could have up to eight people playing on one tea time, which means getting together with the family, maybe getting together with some friends, and at least going through the course at the same time. We also went to a Barnes & Noble nearby and actually went inside the store, and we found some books and we bought some books. And I'll tell you, we've been doing a lot of ordering online for the last two and a half months and having things shipped to us. I have one daughter that really, really loves to read books and has had several sets shipped to her. But being able to go in and physically pick up a book, buy it, and walk out the door was another one of those good feelings. For those of you who have an interest, uh, you may or may not have heard that July 17th, Disneyland will be reopening with new COVID-19 restrictions and guidelines in place. My understanding is that you will have to make reservations for particular days to go there. There will be priority for those who are annual pass holders. That's me right here. And then also for those who actually had purchased tickets that they were not able to use during the um, the time that Disneyland was shut down. Uh, My family is hopeful to go there maybe the first week of August to actually take some time off. We lost all of the vacations we had planned for the past three months, and um, it will be nice to be able to actually take a vacation 
even if it's uh, re- reduced people there, which is not necessarily a bad thing, and even with social distancing and wearing masks, um, it will be good to be able to set foot back into um, the Magic Kingdom and uh, and go on a few rides and eat some specialty foods and just kind of generally be grateful that Disneyland has come back online. The entertainment industry here in the state uh, will be starting to reopen as well. They'll be starting to shoot television shows and movies again, although it's not quite clear yet how they're going to be able to do that. With many of the guidelines, I don't know how actors are going to be able to act in scenes if, um, if, for example, they have to be wearing masks all the time. So that still has to be sorted out. But hopefully there will, um, there will be some, some form of return to normalcy coming back to, uh, to our state and areas of our state as we uh, start opening up uh, around the state and the Bay Area. Um, still... Uh, take precautions, wash your hands regularly, wear masks when you're in the presence of others uh, so that you don't pass things on to them and there's less of a risk that they'll pass things on to you. Practice social distancing and um, by all means, try to avoid gathering together in uh, large crowds um, out in the street uh, or in confined areas. I don't know that I need to elaborate any more on that. So I'm going to open my uh, my show up today. If you'd like to call in, the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. If you have questions, you can also email them to me at radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. And I'll answer questions on the air, or you can call in and ask me a question directly. I want everyone to know that my physical office is open again. I am open for business. You can choose to consult with me or meet with me either by teleconference or by coming into my office and sitting down um, half face to half face because we'll be wearing masks the whole time. So if uh, no calls are coming in, I'm going to go back into my usual format, which is to cover questions and comments from around the state of California. So let me jump right into that. Here's someone who asks, I want to purchase a house for myself, but how can I make sure that my husband does not show ownership on the house post-divorce? We have several arguments in the household. I want to make sure my earnings and savings are protected in case of a future divorce. I earn more than my husband. I also want my kid to be able to spend time with both me and my husband as he is a doting father. So sounds like great dad, maybe not so great husband. Uh, For someone like this, I would suggest that if they're going to purchase the property and it's their own separate property that they're using to purchase the property, they could always put it into a trust just in their name and then maybe uh, give the spouse the right to occupy the property or something along those lines. But... um, One of the things I would point out to this person is that their earnings through their job are likely community property, meaning that half of the earnings are legally owned by the husband, just like half of the husband's earnings are legally owned by the wife. 
And and I say that because community property law states that your income from employment um, is owned by the community, meaning by the marriage, and half belongs to each spouse. And that's in the absence of having a written agreement that says other than that, uh, like a premarital agreement, a marital property agreement, something that spells out, well, my income from my job is my separate property and your income is your separate property. Those are not tremendously common because most people, when they get married, they're not thinking in terms of keeping their income separate from the marriage, uh, maybe thinking of keeping the property they bring into the marriage separate from the marriage. Uh, but you ha- actually have to have written agreements drawn up to make sure that that sticks. In this person's case, if in fact it is their separate money that they're using to buy the house, they could buy it in their own name, put it into a trust that's just their trust, and then maybe give the the spouse some kind of access to the property after death. But one of the things I would point out is that if money's used from earnings to pay the mortgage and things like that, the spouse, the husband, is going to be getting a community property interest in the property ongoing in the absence of a written agreement to the contrary. So very hard to kind of plan around this. Well, we're coming up on the first break in the show today. Uh, When we come back, I'll continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. You can give me a call at 800-516-1220. My operator uh, and engineer, Vince, is standing by to take your call. And we can pick up after the break. So until then, this is Attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll see you on the other side. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Well, I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Let me jump into this one right here. This one comes out of Sacramento. And um, basically, here's the situation. There is an an AB disclaimer trust with Trust A never funded. Do you still need to notify the mutual funds of the first spouse's death? Well, in this case, um, normally an AB trust, the A trust is the surviving spouse's share of property, and the B trust is the deceased spouse's share of property. In this case, it appears that um, it's the reverse. The A trust um, would actually be what we would call a bypass trust, and the B trust would be what we call the survivor's trust. So here it said uh, a disclaimer trust is basically where property is going to pass, in the usual case, it's going to pass to the surviving spouse. But if they disclaim, which is legally, formally state that they do not want to have um, that property come to them, then the property will typically be diverted into an irrevocable, what we call a bypass trust. And, uh, and and that would be typically what would happen. So here, if the disclaimer is not exercised, the question is, 
do the mutual funds have to be told that the first spouse has died? And, and the reason being that the property pretty much stays in the same trust, only now it's just owned and controlled by the surviving spouse. My advice would be to notify all the places that actually have the deceased spouse's name on there because that deceased spouse is likely on there as a co-trustee on the account, assuming the account is owned by the trust. And uh, I would do that to have the name cleared off of the title just to make it clear that there is only one trustee now, and that is the surviving spouse. I would typically do uh, the same thing, clearing the name of a deceased spouse off of the title of real, real estate as well, so that now it's very clear that there is a surviving trustee who is the surviving spouse that's the only one that's on the title going forward. Okay, now here's uh, seem to be having a lot of questions dealing with, with spouses here. In this case, the person said... Uh, my spouse and I have about half a million dollars in equity in our home we purchased together in 2012. I'm making out a will and on my death would have approximately a quarter million dollars in my half of the house. Does my half of the equity have to go to my husband and children? Can I make a trust and upon my death have any of my assets go elsewhere? Would my husband have to sell the home and distribute my part of the assets to where I want them to go? Well, let's unpack this. First of all, we'll start with how is the title to the property actually being held? Is it being held as community property? Is it being held as community property with right of survivorship? Is it being held as joint tenants? Uh, any one of those, uh, the first two would prohibit a spouse actually um, literally transferring a half interest of the property out of the ownership. The joint tenancy, it could be done. Um, but the key is if this person wants to leave their half of the property, the property has to be owned as community property, not community property with right of survivorship, which means if this spouse died, everything would go to, to the other spouse. If it's held as joint tenancy and the spouse died, everything would go to the other spouse. In those cases, that would happen by operation of law. And making a will is not to direct, excuse me, is not going to direct the half of the property of the deceased spouse to go somewhere else. So really, if it's owned as community property, just as community property, no other words, then yes, you could make a will that leaves your share of community property going to whomever you wish. Now, if in doing that, you leave the surviving spouse with insufficient assets to live on, the surviving spouse may be able to challenge your will and, and maybe challenge get what's called a spousal allowance uh, so that some of that property actually has to be diverted to the surviving spouse because they need it to live on. So setting that aside, how would this half of the property go to someone other than your spouse and children? Um, the spouse would likely have to sell the house and distribute or would have to go and get a loan out on the house 
to give cash to the half that you wanted to go to somebody else. Um, either way, that's going to probably put a financial burden on the surviving spouse and, by extension, perhaps the children as well. Um, if someone is contemplating leaving their half of community property to someone other than the spouse and the kids, that would raise a question in my mind whether or not the marriage itself is strong or is in trouble um, because that would be an unusual thing to want to do. Okay, here's someone out of um, Southern California and says, I'm retired. I don't have any co-workers I can ask. Everyone I know is related to my husband who I'm divorcing and I'm rewriting my will. Where can I find two disinterested persons to witness my will? Well, I think the short answer is just that. They can be disinterested witnesses. It doesn't have to be somebody that you already know. It could be neighbors where you can go over and say, you know, hi, I need you to witness my will. You fill in their information. They sign. Maybe you show them your ID so they can see that, oh, yes, you know, you match up with your ID and then um, and they can sign as witnesses. I've had people sign wills before, uh, for example, in the hospital where I literally got two people from the waiting room who came in and witnessed my client sign her will because there was nobody else available. The uh, medical staff was not permitted to act as witnesses. I could act as one witness, but it was better for me to um, to not act as a witness, uh, especially since the two people brought in also had to sign. We had to have one of them sign on behalf of my client who could not really do anything more than make a mark on the page because of her injuries. Um, and then I had to act as the notary and uh, and notarize the signatures of the two witnesses who signed on behalf of my client. But they don't have to be people that you even know. It can be people who are just willing to act as witnesses, provide you their names, their addresses, and then sign as witnesses on, on your will that you've prepared. Okay, uh, next thing here. Um, looks like we... Uh, yeah, looks like we're coming up on the end of the second segment today. Um, I will want to let you know that you can call in to 800-516-1220 if you would like to ask me a question on the air. I'd also like to thank those that have contacted me in recent weeks asking for assistance with matters. That's what I'm here for. It's, it's what I do. And uh, I just want to let you know I am available to consult for a lot of different things. So when we come back after the break, uh, you can call 800-516-1220. Otherwise, I will continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll see you on the other side of the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to the second half of our show today. I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California uh, with a situation out of San Diego, California. 
Does the successor trustee of a trust need to provide trust information to its beneficiaries when the trustee is incapacitated? Okay, my father died, leaving the trust to my mom, who's now the trustee. In 2019, she was certified as incapacitated. The successor trustee now handles the trust, banking, etc., Is the successor trustee obligated to provide trust information like account statements to the trust beneficiaries now that my mom is incapacitated? Well, the obligation of a successor trustee when the original trustees are deceased, or in this case, one has become incapacitated, is still to the incapacitated owner who who was the trustee that has become incapacitated. There is no particular requirement to provide information to the beneficiaries of a trust um, until they are entitled, until they're actually beneficiaries. So beneficiaries who will be beneficiaries in the future, what we call presumed or contingent remainder beneficiaries, they don't really have the right to information about the trust or its assets prior to that point. Now, the successor trustee um is typically because the trust has now become irrevocable due to the incapacity of the surviving spouse the successor trustee generally may have an obligation to provide a copy of the um of the terms of the trust to the beneficiaries named in the trust because uh it's now an irrevocable trust and cannot be changed Um, That being said, providing details about the assets and the finances are not something that the presumed remainder beneficiaries are entitled to receive until they actually become beneficiaries, which will not happen in this case until the surviving spouse, the mother, passes away. Okay, out of Los Angeles, here's kind of an interesting one. My significant other's mother has a revocable trust, and he is the sole successor trustee. Why can't he get a real estate loan? Says uh, he's an only child. His mother has been declared mentally incapacitated, meeting the terms of the trust for him to assume control. He has a credit score of 855, and $4 million of property is in the trust. Despite this, he's been denied a real estate loan to buy more investment property. Why is this and what are his options? Well, a short answer to this is, if you're trying to get a loan on property in a trust that is now irrevocable because the owner has become incapacitated and the successor has taken over, any lender is going to look at the assets but mainly the income available to that irrevocable trust to determine whether or not it's appropriate to make a loan. The credit score of the trustee of that trust, who is not the owner, is irrelevant in a case like that um, because he's not applying for a personal loan on his own. Instead, the loan would be on behalf of the trust. If the trust doesn't have sufficient income to support a real estate loan that could then be used to buy more property, well, that's likely why a lender is refusing to make a loan. Regardless of the value of the property in the trust, 
if if the property is not generating income that could be used to pay back a loan, lenders aren't going to really be making uh, loans to a trust like that. Okay, uh, f- from La Quinta, California. Uh, in California, do the first pages of a living trust document and of a certification of trust need to be dated? I've just completed our trust through our attorney, and this was not done. I can't find the answer. If not necessary, I don't want to have to do a redo, rescan, recopy, send out copies, etc. If necessary, then I'll have to approach the attorney. Okay, well, let me answer this. Um, the first page of a living trust and the first page of a certification of trust do not need to be dated. Um, I will say as a matter of course, uh, when I prepare a living trust document and a certification, the date of the of the trust appears in the uh, header of each document. I would say like the, the John Smith Living Trust dated whatever the date is. It will also, uh, that's on a cover page. It will appear on the first page of the table of contents. It will appear on the first page of the trust document. And then at the very end of the trust document where the person signs, uh, the certification of trust that I do is typically two pages long. Both pages will actually have the name and date of the trust on them um, and the date it was signed. It doesn't have to be done that way. I think it's a better practice because it makes it uh, easier to quickly determine what document you're looking at. Are, are you looking at, um, you know, when was the trust set up? It, it makes it much easier to do that. That being said, it's possible for the date of a trust to be different from the date it was actually signed. I've seen that before. Someone dates a trust, but they don't get around to signing it until a few days later. So the signing date is different. Um, you would still go by the date that's on the trust, um, but it but it's confusing. Um, generally, you want to sign a trust the date that it is dated in the trust document so as to avoid any potential confusion in the future. Oh, here's an interesting one. My spouse hired a lawyer to file for divorce, and a few weeks ago she went to the same lawyer to make a living trust for her without my consent. Is it legal to do a living trust on community property without my consent while we still own it jointly? Well, this kind of ties in with that that question that was raised in the first half of the show. Um, You can make a trust if you're married and you're divorcing. You can set up a living trust. You can set up a will that um, the trust can actually indicate uh, your share of property you intend to be in the trust. You can set up a will that directs your share of community property to go into your trust. What you can't really do is unilaterally divide up that property by transferring title and um, out of a community property ownership. Um, and strictly speaking, if you're filing for divorce, you also don't go and take half the money in, in the community property bank account and stick it in your own name in another bank account. That uh, that kind of stuff can get you into trouble with the court. Um, but you can do an estate plan that specifically directs where your share of community property will go should you pass away while the divorce is going on. Now, keep in mind, though, 
that an issue that you might be facing is the property might be owned as community property with right of survivorship, which is a different form of ownership than just straight community property, or it could be owned as joint tenants with right of survivorship, and then you may have some difficulty down the line uh, if you pass away before the divorce is final and the assets are actually divided between the husband and wife. In any event, always consult with both a family lawyer and an estate planning attorney about how to properly do that kind of planning if that's in fact what you're going to be faced with. Let's see. Does a revocable trust automatically become irrevocable when the trustee dies in California? My friend's mother and father passed and their trust became irrevocable, making it difficult for her to conduct transactions. Specifically, the bank caused her to obtain certified documents as she was not a signor on their bank accounts. Well, yes, um, if I create a revocable trust and then I become incapacitated or die, my trust generally will become irrevocable at that time and the successor trustee who's taking over that I've named, hopefully, will have to provide documentation to a bank or brokerage or a title company showing that I am now incapacitated or I have died in order to take over control of assets and property owned by that trust. Um, That's just kind of how it works. Uh, You might say a successor trustee is kind of like being given power of attorney over the assets Uh, But it's not a power of attorney, which is a separate legal document than a trust. And you don't want to confuse the two. Well, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. When I come back, I will wrap up the show with more questions and comments. You still have a chance to call in if you have a question, 800-516-1220. Feel free to call. I'm happy to talk with you on the air. But when we come back after the break, I'll be wrapping up the show today. And uh, and if you have to leave now, I want to wish you have a good weekend. You'll be able to get out and do some things with, uh, with family at least, if maybe you can't do them with friends yet. Uh, but still, uh, when we come back after the break, I'll continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and we'll talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. So, we're in the final segment of the show today, and since no one's called in, I'm going to wrap up the show with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And I want to encourage you, if if you would like to consult with an attorney such as myself, you can always go to my website at lawbob.com. You can call me at 408-247-0444 or you can email me at radio at lawbob.com or my general email, rpb, for Robert Paul Bergman, rpb at lawbob.com. I'll be happy to start a conversation with you and see if there's a way that I can assist you. Okay, so uh, moving on here, we've got uh, oh a situation here out of San Jose. Um, dad is declining fast in hospice. I'm unable to reverse whatever's happening at this point. He never made a will or a trust. I'm his only child and my mother died years ago. 
I'm listed as a beneficiary on all of his larger accounts and most of the smaller ones. Does this help avoid probate? Answer, yes. Assuming you survive your father, if you're listed as what's called the pay-on-death or transfer-on-death beneficiary on an account, typically a bank account or a brokerage account, then that means that uh, those assets can go directly to you without going through the probate process. But he also said his father had company stock and restricted stock units. Now, restricted stock units are usually in a brokerage account of some kind, so you might want to check the brokerage account uh, and see whether or not um, you're named as the pay-on-death beneficiary on that brokerage account. Company stock is typically also held in a brokerage account, so there may be relief there. Uh, But the question is, will this have to go through probate? A person said their lawyer says it should avoid probate, but for some reason our fiduciary is saying it does not because it's not in a trust. Well, first of all, the lawyer is probably looking at does it have a pay-on-death beneficiary on it because it's in a brokerage account. If that's the case, it will avoid probate. Um, I'm not sure what fiduciary there is here um, saying because it's not in a trust. Well, I would say that Just because an asset's not in a trust doesn't mean it has to go through probate because many assets can have a beneficiary designated on them. Many assets could be held in joint tenancy with somebody, which means if the first person dies, the other joint tenant now owns the assets by operation of law. Things don't automatically go through probate just because they're not in a trust. I consider property in a trust to be probably the best way overall to handle things because then you have the ability to actually uh, have things redirected somewhere else if the person that you've named as the beneficiary of the trust dies before you do. Uh, Then you can have alternate beneficiaries. It's very hard to list alternate beneficiaries with any kind of depth or any kind of specificity on a bank account or a brokerage account. And you certainly can't name a beneficiary on those and say, and the property is going to be left in trust for this person. You you need a trust set up in order to set up a trust for another person um, and do it properly and quickly and efficiently. Okay, can a contingent beneficiary, that means someone who's going to inherit in the future, Uh, when the owner of the property dies, disclaim or gift their part of a trust. Now, to disclaim means basically saying, I don't want it. And typically, if there's a trust and you say, I disclaim it, then legally you're treated as having, uh, having died before your interest was to be distributed. Now, that means it's distributed according to the terms of the trust. Where would it go if you were already deceased? Uh, You don't get to gift something coming from a trust. You can't disclaim, first of all, ahead of time. You can't ahead of time say, you know, well, you know, when you die, I disclaim my share of the property from your trust. If you really want to do that, then you should go back to the person who set up the trust and said, please change my distribution over here um, or don't leave me a distribution so it goes over here. 
um, you can't really disclaim ahead of time. You can only disclaim something you already have a right to. Second thing is you cannot, in a similar fashion, you can't gift your inheritance ahead of time before you've actually received it. You can certainly receive it and then make a gift to someone else after the fact, but you will have already received the inheritance in the meantime, which could be bad if you have a judgment taken against you and you owe money to somebody. So you can't disclaim ahead of time. You can't gift ahead of time. And uh, and that's pretty much how that works. Um, the best thing is to go back to the person who set it up. And if you don't want it, tell them, I don't want it. Please change your plan so that nothing comes to me because I don't want to receive anything when you pass away. Okay. Um, Let's see. Well, let's look like we're down to about a minute here now, so I'm just going to wrap things up. Um, I hope you all will take advantage of the opportunities that are opening up here in the Bay Area to go out and do something with your family, like go play golf at um, at Golfland, uh, go play mini golf, or visit a bookstore um, and, and go in there, or some other store. I think Monday in Santa Clara County, they're opening up the malls again so you'll be able to go back into the malls and that'll be good too just to be able to walk through there and feel a little bit normal so until next week this is attorney bob bergman host of plan your state radio i'll talk with you then you've been listening to plan your estate radio with estate planning attorney bob bergman for more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.